everybody, it's Rose, obviously, and I'm here with another bonus full interview. This is an interview I did with Claire North for our Quantified Self episode. Claire is the author of a book called A Sudden Appearance of Hope, which is about a woman who basically can't be remembered and her battle with this giant company that makes a really creepy Quantified Self app. Now, if you haven't read the book, but you might want to, don't worry. There are not any spoilers in this conversation. I took them out, so you are fine. You can listen, and you won't have to worry about it. Okay, with that, here's me and Claire. Anyway, um, how are you? I'm all right. End of a cold. Boo. How are you? About the how same. How was the body modification conference? Oh, my goodness. It was very interesting. Uh, I have to say it was, I mean, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. Um, you know, I... Like, I knew who was going to be there, um, but it was a really interesting mix of people. Um, it was, like, some grinders who were, like, you know, people who do the magnets under their skin and the, like, RFID implants and that kind of stuff. But then it was also, like, people who are really into, like, mindfulness as a way of, you know, quote-unquote, hacking the brain. And then people who are really into, like, health stuff that, you know, to me doesn't really fall under the category of, like, body hacking. Like, you know, people who, like, put butter in their coffee. And I'm sort of like, okay, that's fine. But it's like, that to me, like, that's not the same universe, really. Um, so it was really interesting. It was pretty small. So it was, you know, you kind of got to meet everybody. Um, but it was definitely very, like, there were lots of different sort of factions there. And they didn't necessarily, like, not get along. I don't think they were, like, mad at each other. But they were not really interested in the same things. So it was interesting. Um, I, that picture, when I like walked in that first day, I was like, oh my God. (laughs) It was wonderful. It kind of thrilled me and horrified me all at once. I really appreciate it. Yay. Yeah. Because also it was funny because I was reading the book and I was like, man, like, I wonder if they would really name it something like perfection, which is so like, you know, kind of on the nose, like very, like, it's what it is. Um, and I was kind of like, I wonder if they would try to like, you know, be a little more, you at like sneaky about it you know whatever yeah. call it like well or call it like something you know more slick yeah and then i walked in and i was like fluffy right let's sit on a yoga mat crossing up ears right and then i stopped walked in and i saw that sign and i was like oh no they might call it perfection <laughs> like, like yeah that. i'm not sure we live in a subtle age yeah i mean we do well mm, oh, that was a can of worms just in that sentence <laughs> um okay so i guess maybe can we start with you telling me what sort of drew you to include this kind of stuff in the novel I mean or maybe maybe the best thing to start with actually is for you to give me a little summary of the book I am almost done with it but I have not finished it um so don't give away the ending in the end don't give away the ending I'm so close I just haven't had time to finish it um but yeah like kind of a basic sort of like plot summary uh without any spoilers (laughs) of the okay So The Sudden Appearance of Hope tells the story of a woman who no one can remember. You can meet her, talk with her, have dinner with her, but the second you turn your back, you begin to forget her. And it started out as kind of being a heisty, adventury kind of book and very quickly became about more stuff than that. Mostly, I think, because when you can't be remembered, you have no way to kind of measure your life like you don't have work you don't have a home you don't have friends you don't have all the kind of checks and balances a normal life would have to tell you you know that's wrong this is good this is bad you're not kind of measured in the way our lives always are um and so it quickly became more about the technology and what actually your life is worth and how you even work out if your life has value um and less about the running around if stuff well there's still loads of that um and so, yeah, I got very interested in kind of 
apps and social media and all the technology that we use day to day to kind of tell us, well done, you have eaten 400 calories. This is good. And kind of all the, you, I am monitoring you going running stuff and kind of this world build up of a life that's sort of told whether it's any good by a machine because obviously the main character doesn't have people who can tell her that but a machine data can remember all the details about her life that human beings can't and so more and more this character is drawn into this world whereby machines are telling her what is good and what is bad um which i think is this world in a way already if you're willing to walk down that path yeah. So what, I mean, what got you interested in sort of the data stuff? Was it just sort of a natural progression when you were writing where you were like, okay, I need to anchor her in some way? Or were you already kind of interested in these kinds of personal data app system things? I'm kind of, it's it's in two parts. I am interested as a human being um, because obviously like every other human being on surf the earth really who's connected in this internet age, I've gone through all the things of must exercise more, must eat better, don't like exercising, don't like eating better. Ah, how shall I motivate myself? And the motivate yourself is a massive part of it. And so, you know, I've dabbled in productivity apps and calorie counting apps. And I've usually rejected them all after about a week with a cry of I hate everything about this and what it's doing to me. But, you know, I, I, I have pursued that road. I've been interested in that road. And I think it's a very interesting road. So as a personal, as a human being, there's a very strong interest in that and how it could affect my life on an individual scale. And then as a writer, it made a lot of sense as the story unfolded to incorporate that into this character's world. Because like I say, she has no people around her. And so she doesn't have anyone she can talk to about all the stuff we take for granted. Like not merely day-to-day gossip stuff, but I'm annoyed by this. I'm frustrated by that. I'm scared of this. And when there's no one to talk to, who is human, you kind of almost end up going to the internet with a cry of, internet, I'm scared and upset and I don't know why. Tell me how to fix it. And the world now is full of kind of websites going, you're scared and upset, here are five excellent steps you can take. And it's so easy to just type into Google, I have a problem, fix it, and find a website which says, this is the cure. So it made a lot of sense for the character to drift down that path and get more and more involved in data. Yeah, and and in the book, the, the app, or like, I guess the system that is sort of the central one is called Perfection. And can you kind of talk a little bit about like what it is or what it does? Perfection is kind of the conglomeration of all these apps all at once in a way. It initially seems like quite a friendly app. You sign up to it and it takes a few details, name, age, weight, height, kind of things you're looking forward to. And it starts monitoring your life. And so, for example, if you want to be thinner, it will monitor your GPS location. Say you appear to be walking places. Well done. You will lose weight. And you can input foods you're eating. And it can start kind of popping up with a device saying, have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing that? So on the surface, it seems like quite a good app for achieving a lifestyle that you desire. However, the deeper you get into it, the more you realize that the lifestyle you desire is actually tailored by perfection. It's not necessarily helping you achieve what you want to be. It has a very strong algorithmic basis which says what you want to be is essentially what the internet says you should be. If you're a woman, you want to be skinny, you want to be rich, you want to be charming. If you're a man, you also want to be rich, but you probably want to be muscly and you want to own a car. And so perfection becomes less about 
who you are as an individual and more about you achieving this celebrity lifestyle notion of being the perfect person, the perfect human being. And as you work through it, you get more and more points for achieving actions that it recommends. And it also recommends retailers, buyers. It starts pointing you towards certain services and goods until at the most extreme levels, it will point you towards plastic surgeons and say, hey, you want to be perfect? We've got this great tie-in de deal with a guy who'll fix your nose. And it starts to eat every part of your life, mind every aspect of your data, from what you eat to what you spend to how you look. Um, and becomes quite sinister. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really interesting about the way that it works and, and that I think is also quite plausible is the sort of commercial tie-ins, right? Where you get like, oh, you've unlocked this number of points and here's, you know, a coupon for this thing. And sort of like this incentivization, sort of like a freemium model where you're like, okay, you know, yeah, you're doing this and then we're going to give you things and you got to keep doing it to get more stuff. And I thought that was really interesting because I feel like that's... Um, it seems really plausible to me in the sense that like people want free things, people respond to that kind of incentive structure to continue doing something. And then I guess at some point you get so deep in that you can't really see through the trees, like what you've done. Absolutely. But it also makes sense as a model. I mean, even the best productivity apps, like I still use a few things for lists and kind of to do lists, even the very best apps built with the noblest intentions, simply because of the time they take to build, must have a commercial element. And so it doesn't matter if you've built something that, you know, you've intended to be a wonderful tool for people feeling better about themselves and their lives. If you've spent months of your life doing that, and you need to eat, there must at some point be a way for you to get some degree of commercial feedback unless it's open source and you're a genuine philanthropist but they i think are a lower percentage of the kind of the desirable easily marketed slickly designed tools available and so it made perfect sense for perfection to have that market tie-in sense it wasn't merely telling you eat this food but it was telling you eat this brand of food and i think it's it's logic and i think it's already there i mean apps are at the most superficial level already loaded on the free level with advertising um it's just it's it's the logic of commerce and it's very easy to take that logic of commerce to the next step and say it's not just about a bit of free advertising it's about an algorithm pointing at a product you can almost see it in amazon already you can kind of look at a lot of these online online retailers and say well i can find anything in the world but the logic of the algorithm will point me at certain things and in that sense we've already arrived at the selling not so much of advertising space, but of search engine power. Yeah. One other thing that I wanted to, that I was curious about, because in the book, um, Hope, the main character, she, she meets a, a lot of people and a lot of them, I mean, as like part of her, you know, travels, she asks many people, do you have perfection? Right. Um, and, there seems to be in a way like a sort of class divide between who who buys into it and who doesn't so in when she's in tokyo or whatever she meets people and she's oh, do you have this and they're like no it told me to stop drinking like you know fuck that like i'm not doing that so i'm wondering like if you think that some people are more susceptible to this kind of thing than others because she does meet people who just don't buy into it at all i think we're all differently susceptible in different ways i think different tools will appeal to us in different ways I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of a lot of data, a lot of these apps and indeed the role of perfection is kind of about telling you who you are and what you're worth. And there's a sense that, you know, if, if I want to get more healthy, 
in the ideal world, I should just go out and do it. But it's almost easier for me to do it if I then get a pat on the back, even an electronic pat on the back afterwards going, well done. You did it. You're awesome. And I can be like, yeah, I am awesome. And there's an identity thing in that. There's a sense of I don't like who I am now and I want to be someone else. And so I think the people who tend to reject perfection in the book are the ones who are just like, yeah, I like drinking. I'm fine with drinking. I'm actually fine with the fact I drink. And there's no insecurity in that. There's no looking to be someone else. There's no looking to be redefined by the app. Whereas I think it's very easy in the book and indeed in life, if you're looking to be someone else and you're not quite sure how to define that person, I think it's easier to be nudged. Advertising already does that, of course, but I think technology is nudging us too now. Yeah. One of the things that Chris talks a lot about in his, you know, trials and sort of trying to gather all this data is sort of how much time it takes to actually make data meaningful to you. So, yep. you you know, you can have all the data in the world, but if you don't know like what it means or you can't correlate things with other things, then it doesn't, you know, it's not really useful. Um, and so, and I think that, you know, he, and he admits this, he's like, it takes a lot of time. I mean, this is like a, in some ways his job you know he's now a speaker who does this so um I guess one of the things that's interesting to me about perfection is that it sort of takes all of that work away and I think that's one of the things that makes it sort of more likely to be something you know because I think a lot of apps are trying to kind of look in this space and say like okay we're gonna gather I mean even like Apple Health like we're gonna gather all of the information from all of your sort of health related apps and we're gonna tell you what it means um and so that like with perfection it seems like that's a, another selling point right that like you don't have to do any of the thinking about this data it does it all for you yeah totally i think that it's very nice again it's that pat on the back thing it's very nice to be able to do a small action and have something go well done that was awesome and you don't need to think about it you don't need to agonize about it it's just there rewarding you even in the most superficial ways we love to be rewarded psychologically we love to be rewarded and to just be rewarded simply and cleanly and be told well done you're great is always going to be a massive psychological allure um i think also that there is a there's a degree in which you could argue that technology and the internet have in a way made it easier to get that kind of almost superficial hit be it shopping or reward or or knowledge for example like i think it's quite easy to kind of go hmm i don't know anything about quantum chronodynamics whatever and you can google these rather complicated words and get a five line summary going it is this and there's that kind of sense of great i now know about this and it's simple and it's clean and it's plain and it's often hugely misleading because it's simple and it's clean and it's plain I think a lot of the data we get in our lives feels wonderful. Calorie count is another great example. You can eat a banana and then add it to a calorie counter and it go, well done, you've eaten these many nutrients and that many calories, awesome. Or you can eat a hamburger and it'll go, oh dear, you've eaten that many calories, disaster. And while in pure nutritional terms it may be onto something, that data doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's, it's numbers that we have some thin understanding of but it doesn't necessarily actually correlate to anything to do with our health or well-being. Yeah. In the book, perfection is like a pretty evil thing. <laughs> it it gets least, that way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I guess I'm, I'm curious if you think that that's sort of intrinsic in, in this sort of like rabid quest for data and the commercialization of that quest for personal data. Like, is it is it inevitable that these companies are 
you know, not even if they're not quite as evil as perfection, maybe uh, like, are they are they bad for us? Like, is it something we should worry about? I think that it's very complicated. I think that it's very easy to paint everything with a single stroke. For example, you can look at open source software and go, it is open source. It is for the betterment of humanity. That is awesome. And it's very easy to say that. And you can equally look at a lot of commercial products and go, this product, rather than encouraging health, is encouraging relentless counting of calories and the creation of a body and a lifestyle, which is not necessarily healthy or you can look at products and go this is selling us stuff we do not need and it's very easy to just go all technology is evil slash good and i don't think it is that i think that technology is a tool and i think that there are often commercial imperatives to use that tool for the selling of more stuff which might be the selling of the stuff of healthness or might just be the selling of more stuff that you don't need. Because fundamentally, a lot of these tools are created for co commerce, and commerce is not necessarily philanthropic. But it can be. I think that it is a tool, and like all tools, it's very much in the hands of the users. The caveat to that, obviously, is that as a society, I think there is currently a big drive towards consumerism. I think there's a big drive towards that kind of almost celebrity lifestyle. I think there's a big drive towards being defined, not necessarily by any intrinsic social values that you might have thought of 50 years ago, but being defined almost by what the TV, the magazines, the films, all of that tell you should be the way you live. And so I think the danger is not necessarily in the tools, but in what society uses the tools to achieve. Um, which is also why I think perfection goes evil in the book. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that Chris talks a lot about is um, the question of who owns that data. So he's very much a proponent of like, I want to own this data. Like, I don't want you, you know, Fitbit slash, you know, Apple slash whoever to have this and be able to, you know, that I can't access it. I can't, you know, analyze it in the way that I want. I can't, you know share it if I want to. Um, I mean, there's, there's all this, um, there are all these systems that sort of help you buy back your own data. And he's sort of like, no, like it's, I generated it. It's mine. I should have it. Um, and I guess I'm curious, you know, if you, if you think that that's part of the, the sort of equation in terms of our future, possibly evil data overlords. I, again, I kind of think it depends on how our evil data overlords use the data. Um, my partner and I have very different views on this. He quite likes the fact that his data is tracked. He likes the fact that he doesn't have to spend extra time type, type, typing in a search term or that Google knows where his home base is and can instantly calculate a journey for him. He likes the fact there is an evil data overlord who can help him. And in that sense, the gathering of data again, is only as potentially evil as the use it's put to. And if it's anonymous data that sells you more stuff because Google has seen that you looked up pram and now knows you're pregnant, well, then it's almost on you as the consumer to go, oh, look, I'm being sold stuff. Do I need it? Probably not. And so in that sense, I think data protection is as much in the hand of you making individual choices, not about your privacy, but about how you act on what the data companies do with your privacy. So there's that to it. But for my part, I massively dislike companies having too much data on me, partly for the fact I hate advertising. I hate the idea that advertising is being customized to me. But mostly, I think, because there's a question of where it stops. 
I think, you know, Google knows my home address. Well, I'm not a huge fan of anyone knowing my home address. It's something I feel very private and it's a security issue for me, but I can swing with it for now. Oh, Google knows my age. It knows where I like to go shopping. Mm, getting a bit awkward. Gmail can read my emails. Getting very awkward indeed. I mean, it's, it's one of those questions of what point do you stop? Are you down with a company knowing what you like to eat and where you like to go and are you down with a company being able to read your most intimate correspondence and knowing your spending habits and knowing what you watch on tv i think very quickly the data just slips into being stuff that matters on a dignity level privacy is dignity and not having control of your privacy and not being able to say stop i think is a very deceptive thing that will happen if we lose too much control of data yeah yeah, I mean, that's sort of, I mean, the, because there's like, I feel like there's a, a light, a, like an, a, a utopian future and a dystopian future here, where like, yeah, like, you know, if you have all this data, you can like predict your health problems, you could like catch a heart attack before it happens, you know, there's all, especially in health, there's like all Absolutely. of these things that, you know, some of them are sort of used to sell health things, and some of them are legitimate, uh, in terms of like, yeah, if you know, you know, especially if you have a condition, there's a guy who has, um he's got a special uh like heart condition and he has this little device inside his heart that like helps him and also tracks his data and uh the company yep. won't give him the data i've got a friend with an insulin pump which you know is tracked inside him and recording his data and it's changed his life completely and equally you can say things like genetic testing these days becomes much more ubiquitous and it's easy to just get a pack and find out whether you're going to have likely health problems in the future but obviously yeah, with something like genetic testing just because you know you have a 60% chance of getting ovarian cysts does not necessarily mean you know how to act on that data. Again, it's the Wikipedia thing. You can get a very simple piece of paper that says cleanly, 62% chance of this, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. The interpretation of that is really important. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, I guess I'm wondering, like, so do you think that this future, a future in which we're all sort of self-monitoring and then possibly, you know, giving that information to a company. I mean, is that like inevitable? Are we there? Are we going there? I think we're pretty much there already. I mean, it's, it's, there is a, there's a money element to it, of course. I think that the world of self-monitoring is quite a wealthy world. Um, I think, however, that in every way our data is already being gobbled up by companies, by corporations. I mean, I, I use my debit card to buy the food. I use my travel card to get on the bus. Every aspect of my life is monitored day to day. And I feel that what protects me from having Big Brother actually sat on my front doorstep eating chips is that there's so much of it and there's so many of us generating all that data that the only system which can possibly interpret and understand it is an algorithm. An actual human being having to wade through the amount of data that we generate would take forever. Um, so, yes, there's, there's a potential future world in which almost like government surveillance, I think you're sat there going, I don't mind having my data monitored because I think the only thing monitoring it is an algorithm. Right up to the point where you go, what do you mean an individual choice has been made about my data by someone or worse, something that I've never met yet. Like it's, it's that fine switch between the data serving me and an individual making a choice about my life based on my data that is beyond my control. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, so when we think about this future and, and we think about, you know, what does it actually sort of functionally look like? I mean, is this an app 
that you feed? Is this like a, a wearable? Like, I mean, how do you see this? Because in perfection, they don't wear anything around. They just, everybody inputs their stuff either by like connecting credit cards or sort of manually puts in, you know, what they are doing. Um, I mean, do you think that that's, like, because I think the thing that the thing that starts to be creepy to people is when they have to wear something around. So a lot of listeners yeah. will will email me and say like, can you do an episode about tracking about how like, you know, you you could be tracked all the time if you have to wear a tracker, like the sort of dystopian like the government gives you a tracking device. Um, but we all like a lot of people. I mean, if you carry a cell phone around, you're carrying a tracking device around. Yeah, and to be honest, our, our mobile phones are at the point already where. You can pretty much integrate your entire life on one. Our mobile phones are used to access our banks. They can be used to pay for services. They can be used as tickets. They can be used to pay for transport in London now. Like, our mobile phones are there. They're used as pedometers. They can be used for pretty much everything at the moment. I mean, I was excited the day they introduced fingerprinting as a way of unlocking the phone. I was like, that's just, again, a whole new level of personalizing the technology to your body. I don't see us being that far off a time when your phone is monitoring pretty much everything about you right in your pocket. I can easily see that being a future and I don't think it's very far away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is funny because some of the futures we talk about are like in 2140 and this one I'm like, uh, in 2016. <laughs> yeah. Like we're, we're very close. I don't think people realize just how much our phone knows about our lives either I mean, it's not just the simple things like where we are it's the regularity of how much we talk to people it's our twitter feeds it's our facebook feeds it's our photos i mean it's you have to actively go and turn off various settings in your phone to realize just how easy it is for the phone to automatically upload every photo you take to a wonderful floating cloud of data where it's no longer yours like just as a background automatic thing these wonderful services that the technology comes with are also as the side effect of it stripping away the data yeah yeah i mean so I guess one of the things that I wonder is, is there a thing, like, is there an event or a thing that could make people turn against this? I mean, it seems so inevitable to me, just that, like, that slow march, and especially because these companies are very savvy about, like, coding it in a very sort of, like, you know, self-improvement or like, you know, the in the same way that perfection is like, oh, you know, we're just trying to help you be a better you. We're trying to help you, you know, achieve this like thing that of course you want. Um, and I guess I'm wondering if, if you think there's a, anything that could sort of make people say like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, like, do we want this or not? Because it seems to me like the, the, the sort of plane has left the airport at this point. I think that technologically speaking, we're probably pretty far down that road because as you say the technology is slick it's appealing like who doesn't want to change some part of their life and who doesn't want an easy and often free tool to help you do it the tools are incredibly powerful and a lot of them are very good and that's a good thing we should rejoice in the easy accessibility of these things but by that definition why would we ever get rid of a useful tool there'll come a point where people will talk about getting rid of their mobile phones in much the same way I imagine 200 years ago, people have gone, you want me to get rid of my hammer? Why, why would I do that? Like, it's integral to every part of our lives. So I don't see the technology changing anytime soon. I think what might change and what might shift the way we use it is probably more likely to be cultural. I think that there's such a deluge of data and it's becoming more apparent 
how easy it is for that data to be misused. Um, for example, the continuing cases of essentially sexual blackmail, photos taken of romantic partners, which are then later used and posted online to humiliate and shame people. I think that there's coming a growing awareness that what you say is actually public. And I, in an odd way, I kind of feel with Twitter and Facebook, there's this temptation sometimes to forget it's public. Like There's just this thing of going, I shall now have a rant. And only later do you think, ah, actually, by public, it means the entire world. And so I think there might possibly be a cultural shift. I think there might also be a commercial shift, simply because we talk about 20 years time and the possibility of everyone having a mobile phone that can tell you how many heartbeats a minute you have and your genetic makeup, all sorts of things. But actually, I think in 20 years' time, you should also be looking at the possibility of a world which is flooded and burning um, just because the ice caps are going. And in that sense, I think there might be a technological knock-on in that as a society, I think we are going to end up forced to reassess our relationship with stuff. And one of the things that the new technology is doing is making it incredibly easy to buy new stuff new toys for monitoring new things for buying new toys for having new phones for getting the latest app for getting the latest widget on the app on the toy i think that's quite an indulgent manifestation of how society is right now fundamentally a lot of the technology a lot of the apps are tailored to a lifestyle that has the time to act on them that has the time to browse to shop to exercise to modify their lives I think that culturally we're probably in for some quite big shocks in the next 20 years anyway. It'd be very interesting to see whether the way things are sold to us changes with that. Yeah. One thing that I also, um, you know, it's, and, and this has became kind of clear to me this past weekend when I was at this conference, is that um, it seems as though there is there's all of this excitement about tracking and data and gathering data and using that data um, until you talk about breaking the skin. So anybody who's got an implant or, you know, a thing in them that might help them track, you know, that isn't sort of seen as like a medical thing, you know, like not a pacemaker, not yeah. an insulin pump. As soon as you talk about people saying like, well, I want to put, you know, this sensor in my hand to do X, then people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you're cutting yourself open. Like the, like the idea of like breaking the skin barrier sort of feels to me like one of the places where people start to say like hold on like put the brakes on here like let's talk about what this actually means and in in perfection you know there's like the end point is like surgery right these treatments and so yeah. I'm curious if like you think that we'll get over that like stigma or sort of you know this this idea that like we can't we shouldn't you know do anything so drastic as to you know cut ourselves or, or go to surgery or, or whether like that's something that we're going to. To be honest, I think it's quite easy to imagine a future in which we are down with having technology under our skin. Simply because like, in the last 30 years, you can see this evolution in body image, certainly in kind of the rich Western world, in which tattoos have gone from being something worn by out there folk to being just a nice thing that people have. And piercings have gone from something worn there by dangerous women to being just you know, a thing you get your kid. And as an extension of that, the number of plastic surgeries happening across the world have gone from being a shameful thing you do not speak of, you, you do not admit that you've had any sort of plastic surgery, to being something you can get gift vouchers for. And so I think that 
if culturally speaking the world becomes comfortable with one or two people doing it and if then media and commerce find a way of embracing that and advertising finds a way of embracing that I think that the week after Glamour magazine runs a front page spread about the wonders of having technology under your skin it will be 70% close to being all right and then it's a fairly easy stretch to saying yeah I think there's going to be a time when people who don't have technology under their skin will be viewed as luddites yeah um it's funny actually one of the things i did this weekend was i got an rfid implant um like at this conference um which has been very fun uh and i can now like i mean it doesn't really do very much uh because it's just an rfid it's like very like you know it unlocks doors and stuff but um i did make it i did um last night i set it up to unlock my partner's iphone or his he's got this galaxy phone so i can just like hold it in my hand and the phone unlocks which makes me feel amazing so cool I feel like so awesome. I'm like, I'm a cyborg. Um, it's great. Uh, but yeah, it's funny because I, I told somebody afterwards, like I, cause I had this like bandaid. He's like, Oh, what, what is that? And I was like, Oh yeah, I got this thing. And I like, you know, you can, you can feel it. It's like this little glass tube underneath my skin in my hand. And he was like, what? Like he just like was totally like no 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 I'm not into this at all. Um, so it's, it was interesting to like watch people kind of react because some of the people there like this is what they do like they're totally in on that whole thing and then even at the conference other people who are more like the health natural meditation people are like no why would we do that what like you don't like our way is like sort of using what's natural to the body and like trying to like be mindful so it's sort of an interesting even within people who identify as body hackers like there is that still that kind of interesting gap between them yeah it's also worth saying that i think technology is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller like there's going to become a point where you might just be able to swallow a pill. It's getting ridiculously tiny. And if they can crack nanotechnology, it's they're working on incredibly hard. It will be so tiny, you may not even need a cut. Like, I, I, I can easily see that happening. But it's also interesting how people who reject the idea of physical body modification are in many ways also quite techno savvy. For example, kind of the mindfulness movement and a lot of kind of groups like that. There's a lot of online communities. There's a lot of kind of meditation apps and podcasts. And, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of integration of ideas that you wouldn't be able to do without the Internet. It's almost like the globalism movement. The globalism movement object rejects globalization and is a global movement. As a way, you kind of like even people who are like, no, 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 no. I could I could never use that technology are already using technology that's only a few stops short of the end product. Yeah, totally. Um, well, this has been so awesome. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else like about this future that you think we should talk about or like any other sort of like imaginations that you've had about where this goes when we go down this road? Oh, what a massive question. I know. Um, <laughs> I, I think that all of this is a tool. I think that the technology ultimately is a tool and whether that technology shapes us into awesome cyborgs or whether it shapes us into brain dead bimbos or whether it shapes us into perfectly happy people who use it to afford our lives isn't necessarily about the code i think it's about what we do as a society and the decisions we make as a cultural collective about our own identities i think that's what's going to be interesting about the future all these tools being used possibly for the light or the dark side of the force. Perfect. Um, awesome. Well, so one last thing I will ask you to do is, can you say what name that you would like to use when I uh, identify you and then sort of like <laughs> how you want to be identified for the show? 
I'm probably Claire North. My publishers will probably be happy if I'm Claire North. <laughs> Perfect. And I'll say you're the author of A Brief Appearance of Hope, and uh, we'll link to the book and stuff, too, uh, in the site and all that. Thank you. Um, yay, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and then I will, so this is for not next week, but the week after, I think. But when it goes up, I will send you a link to it so you can see it. And um, and I will finish the book and I'll probably email you at the end. And say, Amazing. <laughs> once I finish it. Thank you it. so much for talking to me. I really Thank appreciate you. it. This is really fun. Um, and yeah, like hopefully we'll keep in touch. And if I see any creepy tracking things, I'll probably send them Oh my you. God, yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, have Thank a good you. one. Bye-bye. Bye.